Please pray with me. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. This week, as I was reflecting on the passage from Mark chapter 8 that we just heard, I started thinking about expectations. Expectations are, of course, a normal part of daily life for most of us. As human beings, we tend to be very future-oriented. We look ahead to events or experiences or even relationships that we're going to be involved in. And whether we mean to or not, we begin to develop expectations of what those things are going to be like. The problem arises when we get to that event or experience or relationship and find that, in fact, it doesn't match our expectations at all. When that happens, we may feel disappointed or upset or even angry. Sometimes we may just feel a strange sense of puzzlement. We say things like, well, what happened wasn't bad, it just wasn't what I expected. When this kind of clash between our expectations and reality occurs, we often find ourselves feeling knocked off balance, trying to figure out how to bring our hopes for what we'd had for this part of our lives into line with what is actually happening. Sometimes it can be a profoundly disorienting experience, especially if the expectations involved are about things that feel really important to us. I think that is just what's happening with Peter in our text for today. If you were to go back and read the rest of Mark chapter 8 leading up to this passage, you would see that prior to this, the disciples had been following Jesus throughout the countryside as he taught the people and performed miracles. The disciples had seen Jesus feed 4,000 people with seven loaves and a few small fish. They had seen him cure a blind man. It makes sense that having seen all of this, the disciples would have come to believe that Jesus was indeed special. It makes sense they would believe he was the promised one they had been waiting for. The thing is, Jesus was the promised one. He was the one that had been sent into the world by God to reveal God's kingdom. The problem was that Peter's expectations of what the Messiah was supposed to do and be were very different from how Jesus understood his own calling as the Son of Man. Now, it's important to remember that among Jewish communities of the first century, there were a variety of understandings of who the Messiah would be or what exactly he would do. Some thought he would be a powerful political figure who would come in and overthrow the Roman Empire. Others thought he would be a supernatural or angelic being whose reign would be more cosmic than earthly. We don't know exactly what Peter's expectations for the Messiah were, but from this text, we do know that his expectations for the Messiah did not include suffering and death. In fact, Peter is so troubled by Jesus' teachings about this that he takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. Jesus, we can imagine him saying, 
lay off the suffering and death talk, okay? This isn't what's supposed to happen to the Messiah. But Jesus is having none of it. Get behind me, Satan, he says to Peter. And this is perhaps the most jarring verse in the entire passage. Here is Peter, one of Jesus' most trusted and devoted disciples, understandably disturbed by what Jesus has said, and now Jesus is calling him Satan. Well, before we get too worried, it's important to remember that the word that is translated here as Satan is the equivalent of the Hebrew word ha-satan, which appears many times in the Old Testament. It does not mean devil, as we would think of it today, but rather something like the adversary or the accuser, basically one who stands in opposition, in this case, in opposition to God and God's purposes. Don't get me wrong, it's still a harsh rebuke, but if we think of the term in this way, its meaning in this passage may become a little clearer. You see, the reason I think Jesus says, get behind me to Peter, is because he recognizes that Peter's expectations about him are all wrong. Peter expects a Messiah who will not have to suffer or die, who will be able to achieve victory over his enemies with no real challenge or struggle. And these expectations are preventing Peter from seeing what it is that Jesus has really been called to do. These expectations are causing Peter to try to stand in the way of what Jesus knows his path must be. Jesus knows that his is not a path that leads to a throne of victory. It is a path that leads to the cross. It can be easy from our perspective here some 2,000 years later to be tough on Peter and the other disciples to wonder why they didn't see more clearly the kind of Messiah Jesus was going to be. The whole book of Mark is basically Jesus trying to tell his disciples who he really is, and over and over again they just don't get it. We read Mark and we think, come on guys, why don't you see it? It's so obvious. But, you know, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're probably a lot more like Peter than we would care to admit. I would bet that most of us have certain expectations of how God is supposed to interact with us or what following Jesus is supposed to entail. I think many of us deep down basically expect God to give us good things and to prevent bad things from happening to us. And when life doesn't always pan out that way, we get upset and wonder what's wrong with God. But God has not promised that bad things will never happen to us. Here in our text for today, Jesus predicts that bad things will happen to him, and he's the Messiah. But he's also a human being, and Jesus knows that living in the world as a human being means that we will experience pain and suffering and, yes, ultimately death. Jesus also knows that when we live in the world in a way that's true to the values of the kingdom of God rather than the values of human empires, there will be risk involved. We will be asked to make sacrifices 
we will experience all sorts of trials and challenges. We may even be called upon to give up our lives for the things that we believe. You see, if we have the expectation that following Jesus will be free of pain and struggle, we will be sorely disappointed. But we won't just be disappointed. We may actually stand in the way of what God is trying to accomplish. We may inadvertently become like Peter, an adversary to God's purposes, rather than disciples who help to bring about God's kingdom here on earth. It's tempting to be like Peter. It really is. It's so tempting to want to believe that the path of discipleship is easy, that it will lead to success or accolades or glory, or at the very least, that it won't involve too much difficulty. We're only human, after all, and as human beings, we're wired to seek comfort and avoid pain. And let me be clear, I'm not suggesting that we should deliberately seek out pain or suffering in an attempt to somehow be more spiritual. There is nothing inherently redemptive about suffering. But our text for today reminds us that we were never promised that being faithful to God would be easy. We were never promised that the life of discipleship would be free of challenge or risk or sacrifice. In fact, Jesus himself has told us in today's text what would be required of any who wish to become his disciples, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and follow him. But what does it look like to take up our cross today in a time and place where, thankfully, we don't actually have to risk our lives to worship God? What does it look like to take up our cross in a country where we enjoy religious freedom and can live out our faith in any way that we choose? I don't think there's any easy answer to that question. I imagine it will depend a lot on the individual person or community and the context in which that person or community is living and practicing their faith. For some of us, it might mean working to promote racial justice or to end poverty or to protect the environment, even though we know that standing up for the causes we believe in may create tension in our relationships with friends or family or coworkers. For others, it might mean speaking out clearly and consistently against abuse and violence, even though others in our faith communities may feel uncomfortable talking about such things. Recently, I've read about congregations who have chosen to live out their call to follow Jesus by providing sanctuary to undocumented people in their communities who are in danger of being deported. For these congregations, this is not so much a political stance as a way of embodying what they see as their core theological commitments, to welcome the stranger and to provide hospitality and refuge to other children of God. Yet, that's a choice that comes with real risks and consequences, not only for the undocumented individuals, but also for the communities that are trying to help them. You see, our God is not one who necessarily meets our expectations, especially if our expectations are for a comfortable life 
a life where we never have to risk anything in pursuit of faithfulness. God never promised us that we would be comfortable. Instead, God has promised to be present with us through both the joys and the challenges we experience on our faith journeys. And if we trust that promise, if we become willing to take risks for the sake of the gospel, we will find life, abundant life, again. May it be so. Amen. Amen. Turning now to page 358 in the Book of Common Prayer, we stand and join in saying the words of the Nicene Creed together. <clears throat> 